we have lots of physicians that do also um, get like an MPH or get an MSc uh, in Epi and apply a lot of those frameworks and approaches um, to the people that they look after in a clinical setting. It's quite comprehensive and, and you know, unique approach in PHPM is that you're constantly thinking about um, population and community level approaches and frameworks as opposed to um, uh, someone who is a physician um, that works at individual patient level medicine and maybe only has the opportunity like one day of a week. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. My name is Will, your host for this episode, and I am here with co-hosts Ben, Linda, and a special guest. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Typically, when people hear the term medical doctors, they often think of family physicians, pediatricians, surgeons, or something along those lines. However, there is one medical specialty that is often overlooked. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has brought public health and preventative medicine to the forefront of public discussions. And on this episode of the Public Health Insight Podcast, we'll be chatting with a public health and preventative medicine resident about their journey into this specialty, their experiences, and lessons learned so far. Dr. Yi Ping is a Chinese-Canadian first-generation immigrant and a humble and grateful guest of this land. He grew up in Waterloo, Ontario, and completed his undergraduate studies at McMaster University in Health Sciences with a specialization in Global Health. He received his MD from the University of Ottawa Faculty of Medicine and is currently a resident physician in Public Health and Preventative Medicine in Ottawa, Ontario. He is also a member of the Board of Directors for the Canadian Public Health Association and currently serves on the Board of Directors for the Canadian Society for International Health and Canadian Medical Foundation. Yipeng is passionate and interested in tackling health and social inequities through addressing the social and broader determinants of health. Much of his academic and medical career has been guided by these values. Yiping has worked for various global health organizations including the World Health Organization headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland, and the Population Health Research Institute in Hamilton, Ontario. In 2020, Yiping was Canada's official youth delegate to the 73rd World Health Assembly and the 58th Pan American Health Organization Directing Council. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend and colleague Yiping to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here. To begin, um, we'd like to ask a bit about your role as a public health and preventative medicine specialist. Um, you know, speaking as a current resident, I think it'd be useful to talk a bit about the specialty because I f- find that, in all honesty, even bef- um, before I did my MPH or even got into public health, I didn't really know that this was a real thing or not a real thing but like that this was a specialty like when i thought about medicine i thought okay you have your family family physicians your pediatricians your surgeons and like that's it so um maybe like kind of if you if you can just um give us a quick um overview of what is family public health and preventative medicine yeah for sure i think that's a good place to start because um I'm coming just off of a three-month redeployment um, rotation with Ottawa Public Health Um, and and normally I wouldn't have had this experience um, in working in local public health as 
a junior resident physician. Normally these rotations take place um, uh, in the latter years of residency training in public health and preventive medicine. But I think for everyone, I think it's helpful and, and thinking about when I was a medical student and, and also even before that, the field of public health and preventive medicine um, is a confusing one to understand and, and still something that actively now, a year into a pandemic, um, still has lots of people scratching their heads uh, with regards to what the field of public health and preventive medicine is. So I think it's a good place to start for, for a lot of good reasons. Um, as we know, uh, for for uh, for, for those people that end up going into um, medical school and training to become a physician. Um, medical school is typically three to four years across um, the country in Canada. And after that, um, you do your residency training, your additional training to become any sort of specialist, um, including a family medicine specialist. Um, and that additional training can be anywhere between uh, two to sometimes six or even plus uh, years um, to be able to uh, practice independently um, uh, without direct supervision um, from another um, supervising physician. And one of those um, fields of training is public health and preventive medicine. And um, so uh, what I, I think is a nice way to conceptualize things, and, and I realize it's um, always a bit of a challenge to, uh, in terms of kind of uh, conceptualizing and understanding the role of a public health physician because oftentimes and many times when we think about the role of a physician we see a uh, doctor in a hospital or a clinic um, talking to an individual patient providing care um, you know figuring out what the diagnosis is what the treatment is um, prescribing a medication or prescribing um, fluids or or whatever um, uh, therapy that individual might need or, or counseling and then figuring out what plans might we need uh, to involve other people, um, other uh, health professionals to be able to support this individual around oftentimes what is disease and illness um, in that particular situation in a, in a clinic or hospital. But um, I think uh, uh, taking a step outside of, of what we know to be um, a, a disease and illness-based system, what we call the healthcare system, we can think more broadly of what we think of is a health system uh, at its, in its broadest terms. And I think um, uh, your, your listeners and, and yourselves probably know very, very well that public health kind of uh, touches on all those things that affect someone's health and well-being uh, at a community and public level. Um, and public health and preventive medicine specialists um, who are trained clinically but also have this lens of thinking about uh, the health and well-being of an entire community or an entire population um, and, and what uh, interventions uh, or programs or um, policies uh, might best uh, fit um, at a population or community level to be able to influence and assist in promoting and protecting the health and well-being of our patients, um, which is uh, you know just coming off of a rotation with Ottawa Public Health, our patient um, or patients is the city of Ottawa and its citizens, which is mm -hmm. you know th like thinking about um, interventions for an entire community of people, uh, which is a very different uh, mindset than uh, thinking about 
the patient uh, or the you know patient and their loved ones uh, in front of you in a clinic or in a hospital setting. Um, and I, I think I, I, I hope that's a helpful. Uh, start to uh, what is a whole stream of professional uh, thinking and identity around um, how best to uh, do those things, um, you know, in a pandemic and outside of a pandemic, recognizing that so much of the groundwork for what we know to be um, public health essential functions and competencies also came out of the 2003 um, SARS uh, report recommendations. And, uh, and so it's, it's a constantly, I think, evolving um, idea of, of at a systems level and at multiple levels, how do we work to achieve um, health and well-being for all. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very is a very comprehensive uh, introduction, Yiping. Um, and I think something that, from what you said, that really resonated with me is the idea of, um, you know, the patient in in, in the sense of, uh, in your case, was the city of Ottawa and its and its residents and its population, right? And I think, you know, very much like public health, um, you know. It's, it's not just looking at an individual, but it sounds like it is very much at the population level. Um, I'm, I'm just a bit curious then, um, you know, other than the obvious dis- uh, distinction that for you know, to become a public health and preventative medicine specialist, you do need to go through your MD training and have, you know, go through those schooling. Um, it, what, do you find that the, I guess, the, the PHPM experiences you know differs from you know what you would learn in an mph or do you think it's a lot, a lot of the same um i guess takeaways or competencies so that's a great question will and um something that i still need to work through is um getting my academic uh training in the public health kind of like the formal academic training in, in public health and preventive medicine so that'll come uh after i finish my family medicine um clinical training um, so I'd love to, um, you know, listen to what I have to say now and compare it to after I get my MPH or um, MSc in epidemiology or whatever I end up um, doing in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, um, you know, understanding is that getting those uh, theoretical concepts, but also practical um, knowledge and skills that come with Uh, a master's degree uh, relevant in the field of public health such as an MPH or an MSc or you know some people do a master's of in in public policy or depending on what their career goals are in the field of public health and preventive medicine is you're getting those skills and competencies to be able to uh, put those things into action as a public health and preventive medicine specialist and and depending on the um, level of public health uh, one ends up um, uh, practicing in, um, some of those kind of uh, areas of work um, might differ. So depending on if you're at a local or regional level, um, looking after um, uh, like an entire city uh, or, or a region of a particular province, um, or if you're uh, working at a provincial territorial level, federal level, national level, sometimes international level. And the, the things that you take out of those um, uh, academic training, uh, 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 formal academic training uh, courses and, and lectures 
you'll be able to apply those things a bit differently based on kind of your scope of practice, essentially. Um, but also recognizing that kind of the key essential functions of public health, like um, health promotion, health surveillance, uh, disease and injury prevention, population health assessment, um, health promotion, and disaster and emergency response, which we're seeing a lot of these days with the COVID-19 pandemic, the, all those different core functions um, will apply a bit differently at all those levels. And depending on um, if you're more of a generalist, um, thinking if, if you're particularly working at a local level and you kind of have your um, uh, mind or, or hand on a lot of different issues um, through all those different core functions, or you're more of a specialist in public health where you kind of focus in on um, infectious diseases and outbreak management, or you focus more on health promotion and how do we think about building healthier cities and communities uh, through built infrastructure and things like that. Um, the, the, the things that we'll draw on from uh, those academic uh, training years will be a bit different. The other thing uh, I think, um, and I'm still, uh, you know, in my like formal residency training years of, of trying to conceptualize uh, what is the role of a public health professional um, that doesn't have that uh, medical training compared to someone who is a public health and preventive medicine specialist who has mm. that medical training and how those roles differ a little bit um, is something that I'm still trying to get a better grasp of. Um, one thing that um, has been kind of clearly evolving over uh, the way that uh, public health has been structured, uh, at least in Canada, is that public health and preventive medicine specialists, um, often um, those that have the clinical training, find themselves in uh, leadership roles uh, in public health units across the country at multiple levels. And uh, I think there has, has been lots of reasons for why that might be. But then, you know, I think it's, um, uh, I think it's a thing that we're seeing over and over again um, uh, reflected on how uh, the, f the future of public health uh, might look because um, uh, I think there's lots of lessons that have come out of uh, the pandemic in terms of the unique role that uh, public health and preventive medicine specialists really share when it comes to um, how do we think about health and well-being and all of the various determinants of health and some of the most broadest determinants of health um, affect uh, people's health uh, at a community level. Um, and some of the lessons too around um, uh, like mass vaccination campaigns and collaboration with primary care and a lot of the integrations there recognizing that, um, you know, even though the healthcare system is super disease and illness focused, um, some of uh, the, the um, some, there's a large workforce in the healthcare workforce that is primary care and um, that uh, think about prevention as well and think about health promotion as well. And how do we integrate those things into um, uh, an, an appointment when uh, a patient does come in and see their family doctor about something, but you're able to chat and counsel about some of those uh, prevention pieces. So um, I think it's quite interesting to think that um, public health and preventive medicine specialists often uh, get dual training in family medicine. Mm -hmm. And so they're also family doctors and have that um, direct kind of 
uh, line and connection uh, to patients as well. And, and I think that often lends for some really helpful contextualizing of some of the issues that we see often in public health. That's a that's a great point. I. I had a question, especially about your point about leadership and the whole upstream approaches and the downstream approaches as well, is that one statistic that really stood out to me was the amount of PHMP residents per province in Canada. So Newfoundland and Labrador had two two physicians in the entire province based off 2019 stats. The territories had none. And then Quebec had 210. So clearly there's a big difference in this. And then another statistic they had was, you know, physicians per 100,000 people population. You had, again, Newfoundland with 0.4. You had Quebec with 2.5. So it's all hovering around these very small numbers. So I was wondering if you could comment to that in terms of how do we transition into more individuals gaining into these more upstream approaches, upstream leadership leadership positions? Yeah, I, I, I struggle with, with thinking why that might be too. Um, thanks for that question. Um, I'd be interested to look further into to those numbers, but you know, it's it's not surprising to me to, to think about how uh, we don't have a lot of public health and preventive medicine um, uh, resident trainees across the country, and we don't have a lot of uh, physicians across the country seeing um, as though uh, the, the need for um, public health and preventive medicine specialists during this pandemic. Um, well, I've had a few interesting conversations with um, medical students that are interested in going into this field and um, sharing some of the resources that others have shared to me. And one of those links was a link to um, like open job postings for um uh, PHPM. I'll, I'll, I'll start saying PHPM instead of saying the <laughs> entire public health and preventive medicine, um, just so we, we don't get um, a super long podcast just of me saying saying that <laughs> word or that collection of words. Um, but I, I think it was a reflection of of how um, there is a, a shortage of PHPM uh, um, specialists, and and I think. Um, you know, I don't know all of the pieces around what goes into um, health human resource planning across the country. Um, this has been a hot topic for many years and probably for um, since we've had uh, physicians. Like, what is the right ratio of um, uh, X type of physician to X community? And, and how do you also balance that with the number of um, all those things that um, influence the number of uh, physicians that we have at the end of the day. So um, residency training locations and numbers, and then uh, medical s- school uh, seats and numbers across different distributions. And, you know, I, I think uh, it's it's quite common sense that we need uh, to make those decisions based off of community need and um, how best can that be reflected in every step of the way, I think has always remained a bit of a challenge. <laughs> In, in terms of like, how do you plan for uh, PHPM specialists is interesting because um, we know that uh, communities are, are different across the country and um, there have always been uh, conversations about how to structure public health in a way that makes sense for um, a certain community, a certain um, group of peoples or a certain geographic location. and. You get into the weeds a little bit when um, thinking about 
um, some of those conversations because it, it also means um, changing the existing structures at play and, and that might mean um, people losing uh, either power or privilege or people losing their jobs, which is um, quite a challenging thing to, to, to talk through. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think if we think back to uh, is what is the need and how do we address that need in terms of what is the community's true need for um, any to- type of specialist so that um, their health uh, or disease or illness can be, you know, thought of for um, a physician. Um, but then for a PHPM specialist, how do we identify that um, gap for uh, community level thinking around health and well-being? And... Um, the other challenge too is uh, where we are able to train um, PHPM specialists depends on having uh, teachers, having um, people that practice that kind of uh, medicine, public health medicine, so that um, we have um, enough training opportunities, enough um, uh, mentorship, enough um, uh, scholarly kind of guidance, um, so that uh, we're able to produce um, uh, really competent, um, strong uh, PHPM specialists. And so um, one of the challenges that uh, we know of is that, um, you know, as, as, as far east, the farther east you go, um, and especially in the maritime provinces, there is no, uh, there are no PHPM uh, specialty programs. Um, and and I think there's some thinking now to kind of see how, how best to structure that. We In our PHPM program, we actually have two senior residents, um, uh, Dr. Oster Zygmunt in Nova Scotia and Dr. Jen Lemezer in uh, Newfoundland and uh, Labrador um, that are doing their final kind of uh, senior uh, leadership and uh, other rotations um, in their home provinces and perhaps building more capacity for PHPM specialists and PHPM um, thinkers to to train with them um, out east. Uh, But when we don't have uh, the capacity um, to have like uh, you know a comprehensive training program it it, it um, it's it's a complex problem because um, then then perhaps it's a cycle of, of not um, having where um, uh, you know uh, a lot of good training and a lot of good mentorship and a lot of good uh, teaching happens uh, thinking about how uh, I think, in particular, lots of like urban and dense settings um, uh, really, you know, attract a lot of uh, great potential. Uh, and and thinking about all those things that are centralized, perhaps in the GTA, um, and and so it's almost like a reflection of of, of the broader issues of almost like resource allocation, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, where where are the good education training programs, and and why are they so centralized, and why can we not decentralize them a bit more and think about community need um, for education but then that leads to practice it leads to the the practice that will eventually serve the uh, the population the community that um, people are coming from and are in mm-hmm. and then adding on to that point sorry to keep hammering that one but there was an interesting thing that you said where you know back in the SARS era that really sparked the creation of public health in Toronto and those infrastructures do you think with the current pandemic or whatever you're noticing right now in your field is that a catalyst for building more um, PHPM residency potential 
And is that something where these numbers that we're seeing right now in 2019, do you think those are going to grow exponentially in the future? Yeah, I think um, it's hard to know uh, what the pandemic will like the COVID-19 pandemic now will do to the structure and the capacities for public health. Um, a significant worry of mine that I think is shared with um, other colleagues is um, the the burnout that has happened in the profession um, uh, up to today and, and what it means moving forward too. But I think if we take a step back from uh, all of the challenges that um, public health continues to face with, uh, you know, responding to an ongoing crises and some oftentimes multiple crises, thinking about um, uh, other challenges that um, uh, exist, um, such as housing, such as uh, addictions and opioid use, um, and, and also the climate crises, uh, which, um, uh, you know, public health has has a role in as well in terms of how to uh, mitigate and adapt to the climate crises. Uh, with, with all of that said, um, I think there will be lots of thought leaders um, uh, in public health and, and probably in other spheres to think about what is the right balance of, of having a good workforce in public health to be able to respond, um, continuing to respond sustainably to all of these crises moving forward. Um, and knowing that, um, you, know, you know, there's lots of um, good uh, uh, journalistic reporting that has happened uh, during the pandemic. And, and some of that journalistic reporting has cited the um, kind of uh, the the challenges of the public health workforce and and and, and some of the previous thinking around um, restructuring and um, how public health uh, like organizations or um, institutions should do their work um, and what that kind of good consistency or uh, um, uh, makeup within that organization is uh, in terms of different. Uh, public health professionals and public health um, physicians, and and how do you have that balance of, of, of the thinkers and the doers and like the the management and the the strategy people like, um, and so so I think all of that will will come and and it has already um, been uh, and it's is an ongoing thought because of how. Uh, these structures continue to to function in a crises. I think back to um, March when um, I uh, also uh, worked a little bit um, uh, as a fourth year med student transitioning into the role of a public health uh, resident physician um, at Ottawa Public Health and um, things were just starting to be stood up in an incident management structure uh, to be able to respond to a crisis. And uh, that those structures work well in an emergency for certain reasons, right? Like you're able to uh, communicate really effectively with a lot of people, and but it's also very resource intensive. And um, I also think back to 
um, Dr. Teresa Tam, and uh, I think it was the Canadian Public Health Association's conference last fall, and how she said, um, you know, in this pandemic, she's had access to a whole suite of uh, ministers uh, to, to think about how, like, how do you collaborate to kind of put health and well-being at the top of the agenda um, in all these different uh, ministerial files. And so it's interesting that um, the uh, you know emergency structures that were put in place in terms of workflow has made these channels of communication open a lot easier. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, as things calm down from an outbreak management perspective, will some of those channels close up, and should they close up, or 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 should we actually continue to talk about, like you know. <laughs> But I think I'm biased in thinking uh, health and well-being is of the utmost priority for communities, <laughs> but not everyone thinks that or, or I think thinks about well-being and health in a different way. But when we think about putting health and well-being at the top of the agenda for our communities, I, I, I think if we structure um, our institutions around that, only good can come from it. And um, perhaps that means drawing from a lot of things that have happened over these past months in terms of how things were either um, uh, have been able to get done in a really quick way um, to like manage a COVID uh, outbreak um, in uh, like uh, a shelter system uh, for people who uh, don't uh, have a home or are precariously housed. And, and how do you apply that thinking to uh, just the like homelessness crisis to begin with. Like, how do we mobilize resources to get people properly housed? Um, you know, how do we apply that thinking and urgency to some of these other issues so we can quickly grab all of the important decision makers uh, and and partners and collaborators and community members so that decisions can be made quickly because we know that there are so many concurrent crises going on. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, this distinction between primary care and public health. So, Yipeng, you had mentioned, you know, typically we think doctors in a white coat um, with one-to-one -one patient care versus a PHPM specialist, your patient is the population. And then, Ben, you had mentioned, too, like, um, in your discussion with Yipeng, how, the, you know, there's, like, that shortage of PHPM um, specialists, and how do we, how do we, address that issue. So I wanted to talk about how um, PHPM kind of like merges public health and primary care together. And so I wonder if it wouldn't be more like a better use of our resources to make this type of training mandatory for all um, medical students, all types of training, because I think that it's a huge gap we're noticing, right, in our primary care system. You know, it's not uncommon to go to a family doctor and you're there for three minutes, it's one issue, you leave. So why does it take a PHPM specialist, who there's maybe only two in the Maritimes, to have this understanding of prevention and holistic wellness? Do you think this is something that should be incorporated more into medical training to have a more um, like comprehensive response in our system to addressing these gaps? Yeah, that's a great thought. I I, um, I agree with a lot of what you said there in terms of how do we um, train all of our physicians, really, um, and doctors across the country uh, to be able to have 
the thinking that is needed to be able to um, uh, improve collective well-being and health. Mm-hmm. And lots of physicians do this already, um, and they they work um, with individual patients, but they also um, think of how do I improve uh, the care for. Um, this entire group of patients that I practice for, mm-hmm. um, either through quality improvement work or through uh, quality assurance work or through um, various research kind of processes to think, is there something that I'm missing here or is there something that I'm doing that's really good here that I can apply mm-hmm. and share with others um, at a population or community level? And, and lots of lots of that kind of work does take place and we have lots of physicians that do also um, get like an MPH or get an MSc uh, in Epi and apply a lot of those frameworks and approaches um, to the people that they look after in a clinical setting. It's quite comprehensive and, and you know unique approach in PHPM is that you're constantly thinking about um, population and community level approaches and frameworks, as opposed to um, uh, someone who is a physician um, that works at individual patient level medicine and maybe only has the opportunity like one day of a week or or a few days uh, on the off chance that they get a break from uh, individual clinical patient medicine, they start to think about, oh, is there is there a research project here that I can apply um, some of these concepts of population and public health uh, to the people that I'm looking after. I think my, my comment was more so along the lines of how uh, a more type of public health training could enhance um, you know, a physician's one-on-one interactions with a patient. For example, if someone comes to a physician who um, is is um, for example, they're overweight, and their their recommendation, the treatment that they're given is, you know, you need to incorporate more exercise, and and that's just the conversation that's had. But there's no type of, you know, consideration of what other social factors are impacting this this person. But you, as someone with training as a PHPM resident, you may automatically think, what are the social determinants at play in this person's life? Mm-hmm. Whereas someone whose training is more focused on primary care and more clinical aspect may not necessarily think that. Um, and so, so I, I totally understand too, your limited resources, you cannot always think about population when you're focused on a person. But when you look at a person, you, with that public health training, um, you may be more inclined to think, what else is impacting their their situation? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with um, that kind of thinking, especially for primary care physicians that um, see their patient and um, see certain issues present and represent. We always have to think, like think down, like why, like the causes of the causes for mm. for why is the patient <laughs> coming to you for this issue is you know the is my intervention actually my recommended intervention um that you come to agreement with the patient on is it actually addressing the root cause i think um there's there's so much thought in this area around like social medicine and and Mm -hmm. a lot of great work um in social pediatric medicine too um because we know there's so much great investment when you're able to uh, 
give someone who's at, in, in the early years of their life and put them on a good trajectory um, so that they end up having better, healthier um, outcomes and behaviors through the course of their life. Um, and, and so like it just compounds like the, the benefits to society, the benefits to community, the benefits to themselves and their loved ones. Uh, the 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 challenges that I kind of think through when it comes to uh, individual patient medicine is sometimes there are some good uh, interventions that you can think of like um, are there um, uh, like social assistance things that you can uh, put into place sometimes it means um, uh, leaning on um, our colleagues in, in social work um, uh, to be able to identify certain resources or if it means um, like doing a home visit because it's really challenging for this patient to actually make their way all the way to the clinic. And I've seen that done with, with some uh, really amazing uh, family physicians as well. But sometimes some of the like key um, uh, levers or uh, to, to address the causes of the causes are not within the immediate reach of the physician um, providing individual patient medicine. And that, for me, uh, speaking personally, that was one of the biggest factors for me to want to go into PHPM because some of those levers are, are not readily accessible in in clinical medicine. And, and sometimes they're even hard in PHPM. Like, um, uh, we have to rely and um, work with other collaborators uh, and city partners or, or, you know, depending on what level of public health you're working at, you work with various other stakeholders and partners to be able to think, okay, the cause of the causes here is poverty. The cause of the causes here is having stable, affordable housing. So how do we get that? How do we um, get that for our community? How do we get that for this group of people that have been, uh, you know, uh, structurally less advantaged due to systemic inequities and injustices over time? And, and how do we change so many different things around policies and funding and leadership um, to be able to, to you know, turn the tables around um, and then move together forwards in, in a good way. Um, to go back to uh, one one thing that you initially said around, um, are we training um, our physicians um, and medical students in a good way to be able to understand some of these concepts? Uh, I, I think we can be doing a much better job about um, uh, at least explaining what the role of PHPM uh, specialists are. Uh, what we've been seeing nowadays is is um, uh, a lot of uh, physician colleagues um, directing a, a lot of important advocacy for their patients and for their communities at various uh, at various different levels. But but sometimes I think um, not uh, having the foundational uh, knowledge around some of the structures at play in terms of who's actually making the decisions and um, uh, who uh, um, uh, who who employs whom and who um, uh, has uh, the leverage points uh, to be able to um, make that policy right or make that funding right and so I think we uh, all have to think of you know when we take off um, and sometimes it's not possible to take off your professional affiliation, um, but but putting on our, our citizenship hat, um, we all have a, a right to um, advocate on the issues that we think are uh, important. But when we do that, we have to think about 
what is the role of a PHPM specialist, and um, am I actually directing um, my uh, issue to the right person, um, or is it better placed at a politician, or is it better placed at um, this other organization institution um, that has been um, influencing this issue in another way? I think that that is why um, the, the the training can improve in terms of how do we understand the role of PHPM specialists, but also to 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 take a step back away from that, it, it, to to train um, our physicians, to train our med students to better understand the systems and the structures that they uh, work in, um, also means uh, they'll be able to better advocate for their patients in front of them that struggle with the determinants of health, that struggle with the causes of the causes. So, because when, when you know um, who to go to, to direct that advocacy, to, to direct that issue that you that you know um, the patient that's coming in front of you is pre presenting um, uh, with disease and illness in a certain way, and they actually need stable housing, they need, um, they need they need a basic income who is the right person to approach for that i think you'll be better you know situated to to um not to not get burnt out um i i, I remember um uh, a um paper that was shared by a uh, medical student in the states and it's called to fight um burnout you organize and um it's like so true i think in medicine and so true in, in probably many fields um, when you're faced with ongoing inequity and injustice um, sometimes through lived experience sometimes through the people that you care for and um, you look after and not being able to do anything about it um, is uh, is is almost worse uh, than not knowing about it, right? And and so how do you actually uh, use that knowledge and leverage your privilege uh, through allyship and through uh, advocacy to be able to, and sometimes activism, uh, to be able to um, do that work? So so I, I recognize I kind of went a bit on a tangent when, when it comes to, um, you know, public health education for, for medical learners, but I think that is what we have to instill um, in our medical learners and probably just people in general is, is how do we um, uh, collectively think about um, uh, healthier communities uh, and, and that uh, the responsibility lies on each one of us to be able to fight for that for um, something that's bigger than ourselves. When you highlighted you know, the, the causes of the causes, um, you know, for us as public health professionals and like much of our public health training was, you know, that was kind of like the core tenant was emphasizing over and over, you know, not, you're not just looking at you know, why, you know, why, you know, A cause B, but you got to like look, peel back the curtain and look under the layers. And I think that's really, you know, getting deep and understanding what the specific needs of the population are in order to be able to, you know, work with them to come to a solution together. I think that's really, um, a, re a really powerful, um, notion that hopefully, um, through this pandemic and through the lessons we learned, um, through this pandemic, that more policy and decision makers are able to kind of recognize as well. 
You've just heard part one of Will, Linda, and Ben's conversation with Eping, a resident physician in public health and preventative medicine, about this unique specialty in medicine for its appreciation of both clinical and public health practice. Join us in the next episode and listen to the second half of the discussion, where they talk more about global health, public health, and public policy. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.